welcome back to Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments. Uh, with your host, me, I am Aid Thompson. It's uh, episode, I think, 219, isn't it? On Tuesday, the 24th of October. Uh, just a quick bit of podcast admin. Uh, if you've not checked out the Patreon yet and you're enjoying more than two, maybe three, maybe four shows... Uh, maybe jump on patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson. Uh, you can get episodes of the podcast two days before everyone else. Uh, you also get exclusive first dibs on the live tickets to the live shows. The next one is on Friday, the 10th of November. I'm appearing at the Riot Society. That is with Super Tansky, Danny fucking Price, Marina Perkis, Dane Baptiste. Uh, who else? James Benison. Uh, it's going to be good, man. It's going to be a good laugh, that one. Um, There's still some tickets available. You can find a link in the description of this show. Um, You also get an RSS feed for the uh, podcast episodes, by the way. Um, So that's cool. You can plummet straight into your Apple Podcasts player or Spotify or whatever is your chosen podcast player of choice. Um, You get access to the Discord chat. A live instant chat. I pop in there every day, say what's up. Uh, all of my Patreons are in there, and uh, we talk rubbish about whatever's going on in the news. Uh, we talk about upcoming gigs. Oh, and I'm doing live, like, in-person meetups as well. Uh, I've done two of them so far, both of them in Brick Lane. I need to get the other one in the diary, actually. Um, although, do do I, really? My my liver, I don't know if my liver can handle it. Um, I don't know if my throat can handle it. I don't know. Shall I give you guys an update? Right, so uh, last couple of weeks... I've been absolutely shitting it about my voice, about my throat. You may have heard me rant or, you know, blubber a little bit about it. Uh, the situation is this, right? A few few weeks ago, a few months ago now, my voice sort of cracked the pitch of it. Like when I laugh, it sort of goes up high. And uh, long story short, I got myself in quite a state about it the other day because I, I started Googling, which obviously you're not supposed to do. And I saw that the symptoms of your voice suddenly going very deep or, you know, going very high pitch and it not resolving itself. I saw that symptom was part of laryngeal throat cancer. And so I obviously started spiraling and obsessing over it and, uh, you know, blood tests and throat examinations. Later, I've gone to go and see this private consultant guy. I went in there yesterday with my son. I had to sort of speak in code to the consultant because I didn't want to freak my son out. <laughs> so I was like bringing him up to speed. I was like, yeah, you know, my voice and it's very trebly and other times very bassy. And anyway, I've got responsibilities here. So I, you know, I can't, can't be messing around. Could you just take a look at it? So he puts this like throat camera thing like in my nostrils after spraying my nostrils with this horrendous spray. But to be fair, he gave me a warning about it. He was like, yeah, i got to spray your, um, i got to spray your nostrils with this, uh, this spray stuff. It's, um, it's not, it's not going to taste very nice. I was like, well, I probably won't taste it because you, like, you're picking it up my, no- you're not spraying it in my throat, right? So it's probably, probably won't taste it. He was like, yeah, I mean, like, may- maybe not. <laughs> like, I like the fact he was sort of, you know, placating me, pretending that maybe I won't, when he knows 100% of his patients Always taste it, and it tastes revolting. Tastes like my fucking granddad's balls, and he's been dead for 30 years, so 
It did not taste good. Like, he sprayed my nostrils. I was like, well, maybe I won't taste it because it's going up my nostrils. No, straight down the back. Oh, my God, it was revolting. And then, as the dessert for this culinary delight, he shoves this camera up into my nostrils. He's like, I'm just going to take a, take a quick look at the old vocal cords. I'm like, uh-huh. He's like, if you could just uh, count to ten for me, Mr. Thompson. I'm like, one, two, three. He's like, now can you just say E? I'm like, E, like that. The whole time he's like looking at my vocal cords. He's like feeling my neck. And I'm like, is this going to go on for long? Because this feels, it was like having my fucking head sword with a thing like through my nostrils into my throat. And this spray was like sort of numbing or doing something to the back of my nose. Like it felt like I'd done two bags of gack. Also, it was the least pleasant two bags of gack I've ever done. And, you know, half the stuff I've done is probably cut with like washing detergent or something like. And this was worse than that. So he does the exam and he saws my head with this thing. And yeah, long story short, he was like, yeah, this is fine. Like, I can see some irritation in there. So he was like, you know, you need to do, probably need to do vocal warm-ups before you do these podcasts or you, you know, you speak over a mic. If you're speaking aggressively or ranting or shouting, you might need to do vocal warm I'm like, people already think I'm pretentious enough, even hosting a podcast. They're like, so what kind of, um, what kind of guests? Do you have on your point? Well, most of the time it's just me. Just you. Yeah. Most of the time it's just just me, uh, you know, ranting to myself, shouting into the ether. In my, I mean, it's all about me, really. Right. Okay. That sounds insufferably pretentious, Aid. People already think I'm pretentious enough. What are they going to think of me when I'm sat here in my shed? You know, my neighbours can probably hear me right now, you know, shouting in, <laughs> in this fucking cabin. What are they going to think, like, how far I've sunk or how weird I've become if the podcasts start with me going, la, 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 la. What the fuck is he doing out there now? La, 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 la. My God. Well, the fucking podcast was bad enough. Like, what, what is he doing now? He, st he started a separate podcast about 1790s, like, Raga performances or something. Anyway, so long story short, he's like, yeah, there's no, there's no cancer there. It just looks, like, really, really irritated. Uh, he's like, you need to do vocal warm-ups. Here's a prescription. You probably damaged it through acid reflux and... Uh, I was like, what causes acid reflux? He's like, poor diet and alcohol probably irritate it even more. I was like, oh, God. So like, cut down on the alcohol. I'm like, really? Really, though? Because doctors always say that. Doesn't matter what you go into the GPs for. They're, they're like, how many units of alcohol do you drink a week? Uh, 20? Right, yeah. I mean, you should... You should cut down on that. But but really, though, do I have what what's going to happen to my Veruca if I don't? Anyway. So, yeah, I ended up walking out of the uh, consultant's room 
I say walking, dancing, really, because I was absolutely shitting it that it was laryngeal throat cancer. I was like, I've self-diagnosed. I think that's what's going on here. I was so happy when he was like, you've got an irritated, you know, poorly maintained throat that needs to do exercises and you might want to cut down on the beers a bit. I was like, that is good messaging. I'm happy with that. I was dancing out there. I was like Theresa May, you know, when she came on, did the speech, doing a little dance, happy going on. That was me dancing past genuinely sick people after I just wasted an hour <laughs> of the consultant's time. They're all looking at me like, there's actually sick people here, Mr. Thompson. You just wasted an hour. Anyway. So what's going on out there? Let's let's get into it, shall we? Uh, there's a lot of news. All of it depressing. Uh, you'd think a show called A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. You would think we'd be loving it, wouldn't you? You'd think this would be like fucking Christmas for me. With all the depressing, awful news out there. But no, obviously it is, you know, it's absolutely fucking abysmal. Out there in the world of uh, politics and news uh, right now. Uh, as I said on last week's show... This podcast started as a sort of fantastical, whimsical look at what the world might be like if the technology and politics of today crescendoed to a darker, more jarring tomorrow. That's how it started. Like the first few episodes of this, which was like, what, like two years ago now? Nearly three, actually. The first few episodes were like, you know, very tech-focused. It was like AI and robotics and what's going to happen when robots take everyone's jobs? Why is anyone going to get into a relationship when sex bots will be programmed to physically please you to the precise moment that you would like them to or to stimulate you with the perfect, witty and intellectual conversations that you like. Like, how could a human being compete? Let's look at what the future might be like if it got really bad and dystopian. And now, here we are in 2023. We're on the cusp of a nuclear war. Jobs are getting eaten up by AI. We've got deep fakes of Keir Starmer knocking about. Well, we don't we don't need the fake version, lads. All right. This this one over here, the real one is as predictable and robotic enough as we require. It's like, Sakir, Sakir. Sakir, it is rumoured that the Tories are going to raise taxes for a seventh time. They're criminalising protests. They're going to legalise child labour and, and, and hang dissident journalists. That's what the Tories are doing. Oh, all right. Uh, well, that uh, that is unacceptable. And that is, that is uh, let me say, typical of this Conservative administration. All right. So so you're going to roll it all back? Uh, probably not. All right. OK. Who had probably not? Oh, everyone did. Did you? Everyone had. OK. Bugger. Well, we all win five to four odds or some shit. Everyone wins 20 pence. Anyway. Yes, now we're here, 2023, everything is bad, and this show is no longer a fantastical, whimsical, 
dystopian look at what might go wrong, it has become a current affairs show. On that note, let's try to get into this, shall we? Let's try and find some funny in the uh, in the dark, depressing world of this unforgivably shit timeline. So what is actually happening out there? There's uh, floods up north in the Midlands. Um, I don't know if you've seen this as the news coverage has been quite understandably dominated by the situation in Gaza. But this Storm Babbitt thing, am I saying that right? Storm Babbitt? It's a weird fucking name for a storm, isn't it? Storm Babbitt. This has got a bit wild. Like, I didn't even know it was a big thing. You know? Storm Babbitt was coming. Like, my girlfriend was flying back from a 40th birthday holiday thing, like, with her best mate last week. And she was like, oh, yeah, just make sure that you, you keep an eye on the flights because there's, there's talk of a storm over there. And I'm like, you know... I, I'm like, I've got like a two-year-old and a seven-year-old like climbing over me while I'm on the phone. They've been breaking shit and winding me up for a week. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, fine. Storm, whatever. I'll see you at half seven in the morning. It's fine. <coughs> and then and then the Gaza stuff, you know, exploded. And no uh, unfortunate pun intended there. But it's just, you know, it's been dominating the news. And yes, I suppose also because the bulk of this flood storm stuff has gone wrong north of the M25, then the mainstream news hasn't really given it the attention that it would have done had it happened in Farnham, Surrey sort of thing. Like if things go wrong in Surrey or Maidenhead or Greater London, obviously then it's news crews you know, there in a second, isn't it? It's, you know, ITN, Evening News have travelled to Farnham or Maidenhead or whatever. And then they get the retired posh people on camera, distraught that their double garage of their five-bed detached is flooded and they can't believe it's gotten this bad this quickly. And actually, we're thinking about going and staying in our second home in the south of France. You know, it's that sort of stuff. If it happens in the southeast. But up north? Up in the Midlands? Then not so much, right? It's sort of, you know, it's only breached the periphery of my news junkie brain because, because fucking Therese Coffey ended up all over Twitter this afternoon or this morning. Like, she got filmed pretending to give a shit as some devastated mother of two ripped into her for the total lack of help available. Therese Coffey is the environment secretary. Like, I don't know if you saw that right, but... Uh, fuck me, it was brutal. It was... Brutal for Coffey... Because she got told off. <laughs> like... Like a naughty school kid for... Uh, I don't know. Like, what a sociopathic school children do to each other i don't like to do. <laughs> they twat each other around the head with a broken table leg or pour sulfur into each other's school meals <laughs> i don't know anyway she got she got told the fuck off by this mother of two 
who was like, look, we've we tried phoning the local authority. They told us to go to the leisure centre, but that was closed. Then I had to sit in a pub car park for an hour. Then I called the police. Nothing. Then the fire brigade. Nothing. Nobody is helping. Nobody knows what to do or where we should go. You know, she's just telling her off. And Coffee just stands there. Emotionless. Pretending to give a shit. Pretending. Acting is what she's doing. She's portraying a character in that moment, in that scene. And the character is a government official, a minister, a representative of the government charged with protecting the public, helping people like this woman, Therese Coffey. She's portraying this character who's supposed to be helping this woman. But she's doing it with all the skill and commitment of fucking like i don't know like who's who's a shit actor keanu reeves <laughs> billy baldwin so, someone like that like but whoever's shit at convincing people that they're a human being with a heart therese coffee could march into that audition and take your fucking cookies she could just rob them of the role and and probably the director of his cigar too fucking daniel day lewis she ain't judging by her performance on Twitter. Anyway, Storm Babbitt. So seven people have died from Storm Babbitt, I'm led to believe, by Sky News. Seven. Seven people have died, which is like, I feel like, <laughs> like, I don't want to jinx it or like sound like i'm mocking the dead or anything but i feel like if a storm can take you out you know like not not a hurricane or a tornado or a tsunami or whatever like just a storm right if a storm can take you out maybe you're not made for this world you know like like doesn't that feel like a bit of a pissy way to go you know doesn't that feel a bit light to anyone like, we've just come through a pandemic, haven't we? Deadly influenza. Hugely transmissive. Then we got this threat of nuclear war. We could be fried tonight. If Putin has a sudden change of heart, we've got climate change singeing on the horizon. We've got food shortages incoming. I feel like if you can't handle a bit of drizzle and wind, maybe it's best if you check out now. You know, like... Maybe you're catching the early flight here. Like, you wouldn't... You wouldn't jump straight in the ring with a heavyweight if you're eight stone five, would you? You'd get pummeled in front of your girlfriend into a thready mess. You'd be a state. You could barely handle the cardio of jumping around the ring. I don't think you're ready for an uppercut from this fella. You know, and you look over in the red corner and there's this one-eyed toothless motherfucker growling like a fucking american xl pitbull or some shit just you know you're not built for this is what i'm saying so like i'm just i'm just saying if a storm you know not even a hurricane just a storm can take you out may, maybe it's for the best just take your fucking winnings because the post-apocalypse 
or post-apocalypse, the nuclear winter, the traveling cannibal tribes, they may be a bit much for you. So just cash out now, lad. I don't know, man. It must be wild being in Gaza right now. I mean, look, you know, apart from anything else and everything else that's going on there. I mean, like, it's almost 6,000 dead in Gaza now, which I was saying uh, on a punk politics video earlier. I was like, you know, when you think of the population of Gaza, it's somewhere between 1.5, isn't it, and 2 million people. So proportionately... Most people in Gaza will now know or have heard about someone that they know or that their friend knows who has died or been impacted in some way by this bombing campaign. 6,000 people. And for what endgame? Like, what is actually being achieved? Like, are we all supposed to believe that these 6,000... Oh, they, they were all Hamas terrorists. Oh, well, amazing. That is very lucky. That when you drop those bombs, it only took out 6,000... Absolutely not. Of course not. That would be ridiculous. Most of them, a huge, a gigantic proportion of them, will just be civilians. And so, you know, I think I've beaten this horse to death. But basically where we're at is a nation's worth of incredibly radicalised, hateful, vengeful people will now be looking to even that score. And I expect that... <coughs> excuse me. Before too long, we'll see the rise of another ISIS or an Al-Qaeda. Some sort of, you know, if we're lucky, it will just be a tiny terror cell. But it will be a group of people who are aggrieved, understandably, because they've seen their siblings and children blown to pieces. And they'll be looking at the states that have supported the people who did that. And they'll be looking to conduct terror operations and we'll all pay the price for it. So, great. Good job, guys. Thank you very much, James. Cleverly, Keir Starmer, lucky old us. But it must be wild in Gaza right now, apart from all of the horrific bombing that's going. But imagine being there and knowing that, like, like what all the horrible stuff that's going on. But then you pick up the news and you read what's happening in the UK, right? Because, I don't know, like maybe you're thinking, well, you know, the Brits are quite left-leaning and they marched against the Iraq war before and they, you know, they won't stand for this. I, I bet they're out protesting. I bet they're rioting for us. So I wonder what the top story is in the UK when they're not talking about what's actually happening here. What's the top domestic news story in the United Kingdom? And they flip open the news and they're like, Storm Babbitt kills seven. Like, wouldn't you be like, what What the fuck? You know, like, is, is this some sort of fucking joke? Is it like a storm? A storm is the top story, really. Seven people died from a storm. Like, I'm sorry if it sounds like, you know, I, I'm mocking what's going on over there. I, like, I truly am not. I'm sort of, you know, mocking our weird media ecosystem over here like if you were in gaza and you were witnessing the horrors right firsthand wouldn't you be fucked off to learn that the biggest domestic news story over here is that a bit of rain and wind had fucked up a few people's homes wouldn't you you know and that a few mothers had reared up at whichever minister pulled the short straw 
that morning to go up there and then talk to them and listen to them and, you know. Wouldn't you be weird? Like, oh, my God, are they seriously covering a storm? Like, how bad was the storm? Was it a tropical one or like a tornado? Or something? No, no, no. It was just a just a regular UK storm. Right. OK, but did it did it tear up entire cities or no, 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 no. It just um it, it took out the power. And uh, and I, I think some drains flooded and I think a few people's carpets got ruined. Right. OK, but I mean, like, you know, we haven't had power here for two weeks now. Right. And honestly, we would kill for flooded rainwater we've been we've been drinking out the toilet bowl for eight days now like yes seven people have died and i'm positive that every life is precious and i can't even begin to imagine the hurt and the mourning and you know everything that those families must be going through right now but for every ounce of empathy i have for them i'm a bit like honestly i i would take getting washed away by english rain and what, you know, banging my head on a telephone pole. I would take that over getting blown to pieces any day of the week. Anyway, in other news. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but um, it appears that Team Sunak are looking to scrap the banker's bonus cap next week. So that's that's a nice little treat for us all, isn't it? This side of Christmas. It's a nice little uplift. How how have you guys been coping with with the cap on your bonuses, dear listeners? Are you, are you looking forward to to your bonuses returning to normal? Are you? Oh oh, me too. I mean, it really is amazing when you think about it. When you consider the moves that the government are making in their dying days of power, like you would think, if you were on Team Sunak you would be panicking, right? You'd be thinking of ways that you could turn the ship around quick. You know, let's let's get smart, guys. Let's get into the war room and let's 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 work out what we need to do. We need to actually govern, lads. Well, uh, how do we do that? Okay, well, look, first up, relax the Brexit stuff, okay? Rejoin the single market. You tried the Brexit thing. You all got a bit carried away with the, the flags and the anger wanking over immigrants and stop the boats and all that. But now, in the post-coital clarity, having jizzed in that Union Jack, now, now you've regained clear thought. And now you can actually see it was all a bit silly, right? And, and Labour were at it too. Okay, so you got that as well. So we've got their tough on immigration mug here somewhere and we got the starmer quote over there where he's like oh there's no there's no case for rejoining there's no case for the single market all the customs here so they were just as bad so that's you could share the blame for it anyway now what you do is you reverse ferret and you, you you're looking to uh power up the economy by rejoining the single market and boom labor would be fucked Like, everyone in the electorate are so far ahead of politicians on this, aren't they? But the polls are for rejoining the EU. The polls are for aligning with the single market. And significantly, like, it's not a 52-48 thing anymore. All Sunak would have to do is the 
complete 180 and boom, he'd be back. Or all he'd have to do is restrict people's energy bills, wouldn't he? You know, nationalize one of the energy companies. So the doubled energy bills that we're all still paying would be back down to 2019 levels. Or all he would have to do is put in a retail banking mortgage price cap so that mortgages and, you know, therefore buy to let rents can't go much above 2019 interest rates. So the banks still make some money, but people are protected. Inflation is brought down and boom, boom, boom. Single market, mortgages, energy bills, people would be protected. Labour would be in trouble. And all of these initiatives are just there to roll out. They're like shiny, juicy, ripe apples glistening on the branch of the tree, just begging to be plucked. But what I love about all this, <laughs> like, is, is this idea that they just can't bring themselves to help anyone you know like it's just not in their nature it's so foreign to them like even when it's self-preservation even when it's you know even when it would drastically move the dial on the polls for them and maybe even keep them in power even then the hate the sociopathy is just too strong it's overwhelming. It's like, I'm sorry. I, I'd love to help. I, I, honestly, I would. I would love to help you. And it, it, help, helping you would probably be the best thing for me and 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 the rest of my god awful party. But, but it's just that I just, I just can't do it. I've I've tried. I've really tried. I've done everything. I've done every little thing except actually suggest any of that shit to my cabinet. I've tried. I tried mentioning it at my at my super secret donor meeting that nobody's supposed to know about. But, it, but actually, everyone just laughed at me when I suggested And then, you know what? My sociopathy and, and, and narcissism sort of kicked in, and I actually just quite enjoyed the ego-y aspect of, you know, everyone laughing at me at my very funny joke. So I, I just left it at that, to be honest with you. Anyway, look, to bring it back to the bonus thing, it's just like, like you could obviously do all this stuff team sunak to repair your situation you know it's there to be plucked and rolled and look don't get me wrong i don't give a shit if you do it or not because you know obviously like for all i care you lot can seal yourself in a barrel and roll yourself in a quarry you guppy cunts but you could do these things to actually help people in these last months in power but what are you doing you're spending your time and political capital and resources doing what exactly? <laughs> what are they? What are they rolling out in these last few months of power? Bankers' bonuses are back. <laughs> and uh, what was it? Tax cuts for the rich was the other day, and cancelling HS2 and selling off the land for super cheap. Oh, I wonder who's going to get first dibs on buying it. I'm, I'm sure it won't be a donor. Or some, you know, baroness who's lobbying a minister to use her partner's corporation or some shit. 
What was the other one? Oh, may maybe we should cut inheritance tax. Oh, well, absolutely. Yes, of course you should. I mean, you could be helping those on low incomes. So you could be giving nurses a pay rise. But no, absolutely. In your last few months of government, when you could be helping people and you could be helping yourself by seeing an uptick in the polls. No, fuck all that. Quick, okay. Slash inheritance tax. It's clearly a priority. Like, it's just all so tragically obvious, isn't it? This reversion to their true type. Like, I think I said this on um, on a punk politics video uh, or something. Or maybe it was a podcast. But it's like that sort of near-death impulse to just fuck anyone in sight you know like i think the example i wheeled out before was like you know imagine two people in the twin towers and they know the plane has got in they know they they're fucking done for you know so they just start fucking on the desk because why the fuck not right like you're not gonna make it out of this go out in style service those base level urges in your last moments we get it it's like nobody's judging and it's the same with this present administration they are staring down the barrel they know they're done for and these are their base level urges that they are servicing like i think i would honestly be happier if they were just you know fucking people on the desk in their offices <laughs> like if only, if only that was their most carnal, primal urge. But no, you know, unluckily for us, they glean their most carnal pleasures from fucking the country. <laughs> so, so that's where we're at. End of days, final throws, just base level Etonian Westminster instinct to loot the public purse as much as possible, give your mates tax cuts, fire sale the assets, and then when the axe does drop, Maybe one of the beneficiaries will remember you and give you a board role somewhere. Anyway, um, what was I talking about before? God, going right off on a tangent, right off on a, a rant tangent here. Oh, yeah. No, the other reason that the storm story um, hadn't really got into my head this week. Like there's the Gaza stuff, obviously, um, and there's also a lot of day job things i need to take care of right now but and also it's half term actually now come to think of it so it's pretty full on with the kids but another reason is like normally i will drink in the politics and the news stuff while i'm sorting the house out you know feeding the kids tidying up and as i'm you know emptying and reloading the dishwasher i will put a podcast on right and i'll take it in and I'll let it uh, swirl around in my brain and then and then I'll record a show about it later where I sort of try to make sense of it. And for the last three days, instead of listening to newsy sort of stuff, I've been listening to this audiobook by two of the guys from the Australian band Silverchair, right? <laughs> Which, look, I know, I... I you, you tuned in because you thought this was going to be like a slightly ranty, beery version of news agents. And now I'm going into some sort of non-political, like newsy stuff. But just like bear with it. Like you don't have to be an insufferable muso 
like myself to be able to take in what I'm about to get into. Don't worry. I'm I'm keeping my shit accessible. Broad, so fear not. But I'll I'll contextualize it for you just so you're up to speed before we, you know, really get into the uh into the point here. So, uh who were Silverchair? Silverchair were an Australian grunge band. They were big in the mid to late 90s and they had this massive album in 1995 or 1996 and then the follow-up was was pretty big too and 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 then over the years after that they'd sort of struggled to match it you know but the music was always good but just like loads of different struggles health things different producers problems with the record label like loads of different things that sort of flared up if you like and it was this this three-piece right it was a trio three kids from Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia. And they it all starts with them like jamming at their house, drums, guitar, bass, writing songs. They're huge fans of like Pearl Jam and Nirvana. And then they get big and and it's like the story as it's being told to me is is one of excess. A lot of talk of alcohol, uh cocaine, weed, uh, you know, live shows, the messiness, rock and roll. But it's also a story about ambition and jealousy. There's a drummer, a guy called Ben Gillies, who resents being pushed out of the creative process, right? I swear to God, I'm getting to something accessible. <laughs> if you're not really into music or whatever. So there's the drummer gets pushed out of the creative process and that, you know, he feels resentful about that. There's a bassist who feels like he has absolutely no say or control in anything. He's just sort of pushed around and it's assumed that he'll just go along with things. And and both of them clearly feel aggrieved at how this band ended. When their management put out a statement saying the band are going into indefinite hiatus. And they have no say over this statement. It just comes on the radio and they just hear it. And there's also, there's a few stories in there that make the singer, right, a guy called Daniel, Daniel Johns, makes him out to sound like he's a bit of a cunt. <laughs> like, like when his mate is giving a speech at his own, like, 40th birthday, this Ben guy is giving a speech at his own 40th birthday, talking about how lucky he is to have all of his friends and stuff. And this Dan guy isn't really listening, like, he's off in this side bit getting a tattoo. And and when he turns up to this thing, his 40th, his friend's 40th birthday, he turns up with his manager, like not a friend, not a girlfriend or not alone, turns up with his manager. And he's just like he's wearing a cape or something. And it struck me as a bit cunty. I'm like, you know, I'm getting cunty vibes from it. Like you turn up with a cape on to your friend's 40th, like I'm the star here. I'm the superhero, you know, or maybe I'm reading too much into it, reading into it too deeply. But anyway, the bassist and the drummer are saying how they actually just miss their mate that's the sort of tragic sad part about this is they all they have these arguments they feel aggrieved and resentful and stuff but actually fundamentally they just miss their friend the guy they used to jam with uh the guy that they shared all the memories with and that they would just love to sit and laugh about it all with him and to apologize for any bad blood but though they've written him these letters and they've apologized for their behavior or whatever but that he's never ever got back in touch right and this book made me really sad you know like sad for them because 
the bassist is like like in in his work like he's like the silver chair broke my fucking heart like it was such a big part of his life and it was like he felt like he never got closure they never agreed as a band to close this final chapter on it and he'd been there since the start too so it was like his band too but it always felt like it was this damn guy's decision and he never had any say and they were all forced to go along with it on this guy dan's terms and i'll tell you why i bring this up now right so if if i may get a little serious with you for a moment this this is a thing that's come up a few times in a few different conversations that i've had uh of late and and different situations that i've been in and and it's honestly one of my things like one of my few moments of wisdom that maybe you know if if i may pat myself on the back you know it might be of use to someone else somewhere if if they hear this right because the two guys who wrote the book the drummer ben the bassist chris i thought it was really interesting that they were the two who had become fathers out of the three of them and what they found what they reflected on was that life was just too short you know that they'd had these experiences good and bad they'd fallen out with each other like the drummer had thrown his drumstick at the bassist's head in the middle of a gig and he'd shouted at him in a restaurant as well like that he wasn't good enough that he was shit and it was just like they'd, they'd fallen out there was a lot of problems there and whatever but anyway it was just interesting to me that these two the bassist and the drummer were the fathers and they were the two who understood that life was too short to keep that sort of bad blood going you know like they were happy to write these handwritten letters to their mate dan like look if you need anything get in touch i miss you i'd love to hang out meanwhile i think it's interesting that this dan guy is still seemingly from what i've gleaned of the book he's still living quite selfishly you know like he's in that ego bubble that childless ambition driven mode I don't know if I'm really making sense or articulating this well enough. But, like, here's the thing. Anyway, the reason that it struck with me was, like, about two or three years ago, I sort of felt like life was too short, too. You know, and it wasn't to do with making amends or sending out handwritten letters or, you know, offering olive branches. It was actually sort of the opposite <laughs> right which is which is where this is going to get weird now because you know honestly if you've been listening to the show for long enough then you will know that we're never too far away from me saying something either slightly problematic or going off on a 90 degree angle into something really bizarre but anyway look it was about two or three years ago that i was like you know you know what life is too short it like it really actually is and i've been a dad now for seven years seven and the person I was when I was younger, when I was just fucking hammered all the time, saying outrageous stuff because I was trying to be Eminem or Tupac or so, you know, just trying to get a reaction. Like, all of that stuff is just done. It's just over. I just find it fucking boring. You know, like, I still have a fucked up sense of humour, obviously. You know, I say things that are slightly near the knuckle. But in terms of seeking the approval of people who actually don't give a fuck, no. <laughs> about me or in terms of servicing a relationship with people who do little to service it themselves is just not on the priority list any longer you know 
And here's the thing, right? As you get into fatherhood, as you learn that life is more than just yourself, you know, that your kid or your kids are the priority now. Like you learn that that you are actually really fucking important to someone, you know, or to these people over here. You learn that what you say or do, you know, is instrumental to this person or to that woman. And so then seeking the approval of other people over here just sort of, you know, fades away. Or at least it makes you question what that whole dynamic was, you know, in the first place, in your 20s, in your early 30s. Like, I sort of came to a realisation, really, like a sort of mantra when I was about 40. And it's probably embarrassingly late in life to realise this. And I'm sure a bunch of you now, when, when you hear me say it, you'll, you'll be like, Jesus, eh? like, how, how fucking bad was that childhood? You know, like, most of us figured this shit out before we left sixth form. You lunatic. Anyway, here's, here's the mantra, right? Basically, this, this is what I figured out when I, I turned 40. You need to learn, not you personally listening to this, but people in general. People need to learn that nobody actually owes you their time. You know, nobody does. Not their time or their friendship or their laughs or acknowledgement or anything. Like if you're at a barbecue and the person you're talking to isn't really present in the conversation, you shouldn't get mad about it. You know, you shouldn't even particularly care about that because nobody owes you their interest or fascination. You can't be interesting to everybody. But equally, <laughs> if somebody isn't showing you any interest, if they're not present in the conversation, then you don't owe them your fucking courtesy either. Just leave the conversation. Just walk away. Don't even say goodbye. Just fuck them off. <laughs> but hang on. Hey, hey that, that, that was a bit rude. You know, you, you just literally walked off in the middle of talk. Yeah, because neither of us were interested in me saying anything more. So win win. You <laughs> know? And it works it, like even outside of casual barbecues or party conversation. It works on colleagues, on relatives, on long term friendships. None of them owe you their ears or their fascination. They don't have to listen to your fucking boring story about your new hobby that you're working on or how you play five aside on a Thursday now or how you started a podcast. Nobody owes you that interest or to keep up with you or checking in on you. But equally, you don't owe them your weird, unreciprocated, unrequited friendship either. You know, even Stevens equals people. So if they're not checking in on you or they don't bother to see your new digs or meet your kids, or whatever, it's fine. Like, yes, it might make you question what that friendship even ever was, but like, like, were you projecting the whole time? You know, what What even were we? But they don't need to be super chummy and emo with you about anything. But again, you don't need to be texting them or arranging lads' nights or girls' brunches trying to maintain 
a friendship, you know? And I think for a lot of people, it is that. It's like you used to know somebody when you were like 15 or 19 and you came together over a shared love of X, Y or Z or whatever. Now you're both 43. It's not about enjoying a friendship and the th having loads of things in common. Your lives are completely different now. You live in completely different towns. One of you's got kids, the other one hasn't. One of you works in fucking hospitality, the other one's a builder. It's like, you're completely different people. So now it's not about sharing things that you have in common, it's about maintenance. <laughs> now it's about, uh, I could come down and see you on the 19th. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> like, if we met each other now, would we become friends? Or, like... What even, what even are we? And look, it's nothing hostile. It's nothing discourteous with relatives or friends or colleagues or anything. It's just like, you know, it's like you don't need to find me fascinating or be banging down my door, begging me to come out. But equally, if you aren't in any way interested in what I have to say or what's going on over here or responding to a text or then great you know that's fine we're sort of agreeing a standard there though and there's you know there's no hate or anything and i hope our paths cross in the future or something at a point when maybe things might be different but for now i'm good <laughs> and there's a real peace in that you know and so anyway look in listening to this audiobook which i which i recommend you know if you're into grunge or punk rock from back in the day it's called love and pain uh by ben Gillies and chris joe joanu i think i'm saying that incorrectly but uh, of the band silverchair um and yeah anyway look it just sort of struck with me like how at peace with each other with life these two gentlemen now sound you know post fatherhood like how they've sort of they've tried their best to maintain a friendship or whatever and they're at peace with whatever that is or whatever it used to be now and it really resonated with me like i have a similar peace with my place in social circles that i'm in now you know i feel very confident very content these days with my family my job the kids talking politics talking shit with other content creators going for drinks with tan jules uh, graham danny putting on shows like Anyway, look, that, that was the thing that sort of took my eye off the news ball, I guess, for a few days. I thought maybe it might be uh, worth talking about. Um, guys, anyway, I better go. Sorry if that all got a bit emo there. Hopefully it was helpful in some capacity to somebody. Um, occasionally, I guess I let the mask slip and reveal the fact that I'm a big fucking pussy underneath all the bravado. Um, until next time, I'm going to have to say uh, goodbye. Um do buy a ticket to the live show that's on friday the 10th of november do consider jumping on the patreon it starts at only three pounds a month um until next time uh cheerio take care of yourselves stay booge i'm out this motherfucker yeah.